take a girl and a guy and they fall madly in love and form a family. Sprinkle in some counseling degrees and a doctorate, a dream of transforming relationships as we know it. And 20 years later, we give you power couple Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. And this is their podcast, Couples Synergy. Welcome back to another episode of Couples Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean. I'm Dr. Ray. And I'm Jean. And this is our podcast about love, marriage, and relationships. Please check us out online on our Facebook page and Instagram at Couples Synergy or our website, couplesynergy.com. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast or send us any suggestions on topics you'd like to hear more about. And now on to Couple Synergy, an in-depth look at love, marriage, and relationships, where we bring you our experience helping thousands of couples transform their relationships for nearly 20 years. You know, everyone says you should work on your relationship, but nobody teaches us how. So we've created this podcast as an avenue to teach people what they can do to create the relationship they've always dreamed of with the partner they fell in love with. In today's episode, Jean and I will be talking about a pretty controversial topic and something that's really just on everyone's minds today, and that is bullying in general, the overall umbrella of bullying, but then also racism, which is a form of bullying as well. Correct. And, you know, we were actually going to start talking about this topic because on Thursday, we have um, a clinician, someone that works with kids and, and um, uh, you know, teenage bullying and bullying in schools. Well, she doesn't just work with them. She was one. And she was bullied so badly that it almost killed her because she developed an eating disorder. And when she was finally hospitalized, the doctor said, to her parents, either take her out of that school or you are going to be picking out her funeral clothing. Her name is Kristen Decker. Mm-hmm. And, you know, stay tuned. On Thursday, her episode's going to come out. And she's going to talk about not only her personal experience, but also some of the work that she does in the school system. Now, that brings us to kind of the precursor and talking about bullying and um, the specific topic about racism, which is um, kind of right now a big topic that right. everyone is talking about mm-hmm. and you know we we don't want to take any political sides on this at all we really want to just talk about how this affects relationships in general and i want to talk a little bit about my experience you know with racism and bullying you know because i experienced both um bullying or being bullied as a kid in grade school um, I was really the only uh, non-white kid who attended um, school in an all-white Catholic neighborhood. And so I, I experienced, you know, a lot of singling out and, and bullying. Some of it was racially motivated, and some of it wasn't. I think the, the biggest problem is that it was hard to distinguish what was racially motivated and what wasn't. Well, and interestingly, you look Hispanic. Correct. But you're not. And so you don't speak the language. And so you even get bullied in the other direction when people assume that you are Hispanic. Growing up, I received, I was at the other end of racial slurs um, uh, accusing me of being a Mexican. 
and receiving racial slurs about you know that ethnicity. Um, I was I received ethnic slurs about being Middle Eastern. I didn't really receive any uh, racial slurs about being Filipino, but you know it it, it all enco- was encompassing. And you know I've had people pull over to the side of road, strangers, and yell at me uh, when I was a, a preteen just walking down the street. I've had you know classmates you know call me all so all all sorts of racial slurs and and you know the thing is i've actually also had an african-american kind of give me a microaggression and saying that you know my experience of racism is not valid because i'm not the right race you know so i i've kind of received it on on other aspects as well so you know, one of the things that we want to kind of talk a little bit about is, you know, how that affects relationships, right? Because I think racism and, and being bullied, bullying in general, it affects your self-esteem. It affects your connection with other people, your ability to trust, you know, and to open yourself up and be vulnerable because you don't want to. I mean, the tendency is to keep yourself guarded because you are waiting for that attack. And the long-term effects are people dropping out of school, not pursuing education, and struggling with depression, eating disorders, anxiety, and a disconnect from being in relationships. So I think we should just define bullying in general. And this is this comes from an article by Fox and Stallworth in 2005 in the Journal of Vocational Behavior. The title is Racial Ethnic Bullying, Exploring Links Between Bullying and Racism in the U.S. Workplace. And so they kind of studied U.S. workplace bullying and racism. They, t- they defined bullying as the umbrella concept Uh, for these various conceptualizations of ill treatment and hostile behavior toward people at work ranges from the most subtle, even unconscious incivilities to the most blatant, intentional emotional abuse. It includes single incidents and escalating patterns of behavior. And then they also expanded the scope of their inquiry by differentiating between general bullying or behaviors that can occur to anyone without reference to race or ethnicity and racial ethnic bullying, which attacks the target explicitly based on race or ethnicity. And they talked about in their study that, you know, blatant racism has been converted. It has kind of changed into more of a modern form of racism, something that they call microaggression. And this is this is not, they didn't term this, this is a, a, a term that is, you know, well known right now, uh, microaggressions and micro inequities. They said that this is more of like a subtle, even unconscious manifestation of, of racism, including neglect, incivility, humor, ostracism, inequitable treatment, and other forms of these microaggressions, which are subtle, apparently relatively innocuous behaviors by themselves, but when delivered incessantly, the cumulative effect to the victim and to the victimizer is of an imaginable magnitude. So 
you know, I, I think that this is something that, you know, people are, are up in arms about racism. And, you know, there are people that believe it doesn't exist. And now this, this huge movement that is happening is really awakening a lot of resentment and anger and distrust. And, you know, it is, has been a powder keg that seems to have just exploded in our country, in our society. And, you know, we are going to take it down to more of a micro level here. And that is, how does it affect relationships? And, you know, I, I kind of want to ask you, Gene, kind of how does this affect you? I mean, obviously you are, you know, Caucasian. And, you know, I talked a little bit about my racial background and past, you know, podcast and, and now talking a little bit about my experience with, you know, racism. Um, and how does it, how does it affect you? Well, certainly I've been on the receiving end of being a female in the military that has its own level of, you know, actually being female in general is like the silentism, whatever that is, right? And it's something you constantly live with every day and you hear those things, those words, those phrases, those silent little put downs, right? And so I've ex certainly experienced that. And in terms of, you know, bullying in general, I think it's a developmental process we go through as human beings. You know, when we're very little, we're extremely selfish and we really don't notice the differences, right? Little kids under the age of four or five, they don't really notice No, they don't notice color, and, color at all, mm -hmm. right. Or even gender, they don't really care. You know, so when kids get to a certain age where they care more about what their peers think than what their parents think, then they get into a lot of competition and it gets really scary because they really want that approval and that acceptance. And they will join in to ostracize someone else so they're not the one that's targeted. As a white person that grew up in a very white, middle-class environment, I didn't even meet a person of color until I was in eighth grade, which is probably not heard of anymore, but that's the way it was. And the thing is, as a human being, when you see something, someone who's different than you, you automatically go to a place of arousal that says, pay attention, I don't know what this is. And you can't help yourself from doing it. And that's true in the studies that I've seen. If it was a familiar person like Michael Jordan, you wouldn't have that. You know, even if you're white and he's black, you wouldn't have that arousal like, uh oh, something's different. But it's a natural thing and it's very difficult to be aware of. And I think when you're not the person that is on the receiving end of a lot of that racism, you have no idea really what it feels like. And so it doesn't seem very important. And I remember using words that I don't think I really understood what they meant until I might have said something to someone who was that. And I, I, like, I didn't even know it was a bad thing to say. And I, I think that kids do that. They take their cues and they watch the reaction of the person they're bullying. And when they get the reaction that they're looking for, when they get that surge of power because they've stolen that person's power, then they hook in and go, okay, here's someone I can continue to target because they, they have a sensitivity and they're an easy, easier target than someone else. And then it increases. And that's why I think there's the longevity to it. It's not a one-time isolated incident. It is a way to go steal power from someone over and over again to increase your own social standing. 
Yeah, you know, as a kid growing up who was bullied and also subjected to, you know, racism, I remember being shocked whenever it would happen because I didn't think that I was different than my peers until something like that would happen. And then it would really put a spotlight on being different, right? And then also feeling embarrassed because I was different and then also feeling like my relationships, my my attempts at having relationships, you know, with my with my peers, you know, who were all Caucasian, they were tainted or I, I was kind of, I was so different that people didn't want to have a relationship with me. So I'm going to read this list. This comes from a website called Stamp Out Bullying. And the question that they're addressing is, who becomes a bully? And number one is kids who are victims in face-to-face bullying will often bully anonymously, especially through cyberbullying, in order to take back the power and self-esteem they lost as targets. The second is kids with strong leadership skills can be bullies. They have lots of confidence, power, and strength, but use it unwisely or without realizing the hurtful effect they're having on others. The third reason kids become bullies are kids with dysfunctional social skills often bully in an effort to make friends. And the fourth reason, they say surprisingly popular kids are often insecure about their social standing and bully to maintain their status. So that's kind of an interesting thing. So when, with your bullying, did that make you an angry person? And did you ever become someone that did the bullying? It, it absolutely made me an angry person and resentful inside. And most of that anger and resentment was turned on myself. So first and foremost, I became a bully towards myself. And even became almost racist towards myself and my ethnic background as well. You know, that because I didn't fit in with everyone else and my peers, I wanted to be different. I wanted, well, I wanted to be different. I wanted to be like everybody else. That is a really interesting concept because I remember asking you this a long time ago, like, do you ever have to help men get over being a guy, being male? And it's a really common thing that comes up in therapy that women really hate other women or they feel very distrustful of other women. And there's a a thing inside of them that they kind of reject themselves as a woman because of the way women treat other women. It's a really interesting thing. And so I think the same thing is true is that it's that constant pecking away of because who wants to be weaker? Who wants to be at the mercy of other people? We want to be in power. And if being male is the power gender, then who would want to be female? And so this, that's like a silent thing that women always kind of carry with them. And it's very similar to what you're saying. And I think that's why people who get bullied end up doing self-destructive things like dropping out of school or abusing alcohol or having eating disorders or things like that. Especially if it's like at a very high degree and you know, the more blatant it is, I think, you know, the more of an impact it has on people. You know, now I didn't face racism on a daily basis, right? And I can't, I can't speak from, you know, the African-American perspective and how racism is manifested there. 
you know, I can only talk about my own personal experience about that, you know, and the bullying did for me did escalate to physical bullying, you know, and I remember being, you know, picked on physically and, and beaten up on a daily basis, you know, walking home from school and, you know, to the point that, you know, my parents took me one day to a martial arts, you know, center and they just, they decided then to enroll me in that because, you know, I was not able to defend myself. Did learning to defend yourself help you with the bullying or did it actually decrease the bullying? It actually decreased the bullying because I actually started to defend myself. And, you know, then the bullies started to see that they could not physically pick on me anymore. But it didn't stop the subtle bullying, the the emotional bullying, right? The name calling, right? So the physical stuff stopped, but, but the emotional and the name calling and the subtle kind of racism and bullying that continued. You know, I remember reading on Facebook on someone else's post that it was a black man talking and he said, you know, whenever he would go for a walk in his neighborhood, he would always bring his eight-year-old daughter with because if he had his daughter with him or his dog, people were like, oh, there's a guy out with his daughter and his dog. But if he was by himself, he would be treated very differently. Like, what is that guy doing in our neighborhood? And I remember experiencing that twice with you, being an interracial couple. The first time was our first anniversary when we came down to the South. We were in Alabama, driving through Alabama. We had stopped at a rest stop, and you could tell they were, like, uncomfortable serving us. And this is in 1999, so it probably has changed since then. But the other time was out in Wyoming where they literally wouldn't serve you. Right. They wouldn't serve you at all. And, like, they didn't kick you out. They just ignored you. And right. So it, wasn't, that, it wasn't blatant. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't say to me that they weren't going to serve me. They just, you know, just standing there at the bar, they just continued to ignore me and they served the people on my left and on my right and just did not even acknowledge my presence at all. So it was very, very subtle, you know, and it, it became very clear that this was not, you know, just someone not paying attention you know, they were literally not wanting to serve me. And it was scary. It was not just uncomfortable, but it was scary. You know, one of the difficult things with with bullying is when you try to get help, sometimes the help can make it worse. And that's something that Kristen Decker talks about, mm-hmm. is that her parent did intervene, you know, with the bullying that was happening to her growing up, and it actually made things worse. Because I think police were involved and there was a, like a restraining order and all that. But that's when she actually got the death threats. Did you ever have the experience that someone who bullied you later on in life became your friend? There was a time in high school where someone did bully me. And then, you know, later on, you know, say 20 years later, um, we became closer and became friends. You know, and I remember telling him about that, about that time, and he had no idea. Right. You know, it's like that concept, if I have a high heel shoe on and I come and step on your foot, it doesn't hurt me at all. And he was just probably surviving and doing what he could for his social standing and didn't realize the impact that it had on you. 
Well, I think for the most part, we don't really know the impact that we have on other people. And only people who are hurting hurt other people. Right. And so if you feel that pain inside, you feel anger inside, you feel resentment, you know, you internalize that, it's going to go somewhere. And you can only beat yourself up enough times before you start lashing out at others. Because the more you beat yourself up, the more sensitive you become, the more tender you become. So then even if someone comes at you just a tiny bit, you're going to explode. And I think what happens also is that you start to project that, you know, and displace that, that feeling, that negativity inside. And it is going to go to someone else, you know, who is maybe resonating that within yourself or reflecting that. Which brings us back to that ripple effect, right? And so if you are a child and you get in trouble, you do something wrong, and you're punished, and because of that you feel a sense of maybe shame or fear, and you have a younger sibling, you're going to pass that on. I think that's a natural human thing that we do. The fundamental emotions that are a part of bullying are fear and shame. And that's why boosting up someone's confidence and their power is so important, even in the way you carry yourself. Not hooking in and not letting things bother you so much, even if you're faking it, even though they may be very hurtful, can be helpful. You know, I I think what's really interesting, you know, when you talk about that fear and shame, is that in going through those experiences growing up, I wanted so much to just blend in, right, and not stand out, that... You know, I started using a nickname for myself instead of my birth name. And my, my first name, my birth name is Ramin. And it's a Persian name. And starting in, in high school, I started to use Ray. And it was a way of just kind of cutting out the questions that would happen. You know, if I said my first name is Ramin, then the next thing that would happen is that I would be hit with all of these questions about what's your name origin and, you know, who is, where's your dad from or where's your mother from? And I would have to sit there and go through this like interrogation almost, you know, explaining my ethnic origin. And if I just shortened to my nickname, then most people, I found that most people didn't even ask me, right? And unless I had to give my last name, and then I would have to go through that again. Our son is very Caucasian looking. Yep, he is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just in, in um, you know, speaking to him recently, he talked about facing racist remarks and, you know, racist judgments because of his name. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's very interesting, you know, from his perspective is that, you know, outwardly, he would not look like someone that would receive any type of racism or bullying. And yet he has, right, just because Mm -hmm. of stereotype and because of people's assumptions, you know, about his name and about his his ethnic origin. You know, one thing I would like to say is that 
if you have been on the victim side of any type of adversity, whether it's for your gender or your race or you look different or whatever those things are, those could be opportunities to find resilience in yourself. They're also opportunities to find compassion for other people. And, you know, that's what Kristen Decker did, right? She took all that pain she experienced as a girl and became someone who works with teenagers that are being bullied because she totally understands what that feels like and how to help in a way that she could not have had she not gone through that. And she talks about that. Find someone to talk to and figure out a way to help you turn that into some type of a strength inside of yourself for whatever pain you've been through. And don't let it continue to, you know, push you down the rest of your life because that's what it feels like it wants to do. It wants you to feel bad about yourself and feel the shame, even if the bullying is long over and to be stuck in depression and stuck in low self-esteem. And stuck in anger. And anger. Mm -hmm. But there is a way out because that part of our brain has no relationship to time which is why those feelings don't erode and they don't heal. But because there's no relationship to time, you can apply emotional first aid today to things that happened 20, 30 years ago and start a healing process and find a way to feel better in the world. Like really, you have to fight for it. It is very painful. You really have to fight for it. Yeah, I would say that I don't have any more anger about those situations that I've been through in the past. You know, I, I think that I have come to a place of acceptance and understanding that those types of, you know, situations and circumstances are going to happen. They just are. And, you know, I am hyper aware of it. You know, when we go down and, and visit Dean in Texas, I am hyper aware of it, you know, as far as where I'm at and, you know, if there is any type of, you know, subtle microaggressions that might be happening. But I accept it as something that is going to happen and I don't allow that to affect who I am and what I believe about myself. What would you say to someone who is currently being bullied? I would say you're not alone. Other people feel exactly the way that you do isolated, right, put on the spot, embarrassed, full of shame. You feel like you need to hide, right, to blend in, to protect yourself. And, you know, you don't have to feel that way. I think that's the hard part is it, when you feel that way, you don't want to share it and you don't want to talk about it. And talking about it is how you're going to heal from it. And so even if there's no one safe to talk to in your school or in your family, try to find a therapist or someone, a neutral person. It could be someone with your church or someone that just kind of feels safe that you start sharing with because that's going to start the healing process. I think one of the hardest things is to talk about it. You know, when I was going through that growing up, you know, one of the last things I wanted to do was admit it because it seems like you would be admitting the weakness, you know, that everyone is pointing out, that everyone is making fun of, right? The differences that you have. 
And so the tendency is to feel like you need to try to blend and try to morph yourself into what everybody wants you to be. And, you know, hate is going to exist out there. It just is. It doesn't matter if you are black or white or male or female. It really doesn't matter any of it. And if someone hates inside, they are going to hate outside. And it is so important for all of us to resonate love within, right? Because if we allow that hate to come inside and infect us, then we start hating ourselves. And you know, if you are hurting, nobody can tell. People are really good at hiding that. And you might look around and think everybody else has it down, but they don't. But you can't see it. That's the hard part. You can't see it. Even in Kristen Decker's story, until she was hospitalized and weighed under 100 pounds, her parents had no idea. None whatsoever. And that's the really hard thing is you might think people can read it on your face, but they can't. And you need help. You cannot do it alone. I think if there's anything that is coming out of this racial crisis that our country is going through, it is that we all need to pull together. We all need to help each other. We need to create an environment, a society of acceptance, of love, compassion for everyone. What would you say if you could talk to some of your bullies today? I would say thank you. I would say thank you for providing me the opportunity to grow, to become strong, to become empowered, to see my own self-worth and build upon my own self-confidence and not have that be dependent on other people and people outside of myself to outside of myself to tell me who I am. And I encourage all of you out there who may be feeling, you know, that low self-worth and low self-confidence to see this as an opportunity to grow. So we want to thank you for joining us today and for listening to Couple Synergy. Our passion is in helping couples and people have happy and healthy relationships. And this podcast gives us a fun way of bringing our knowledge and expertise to you, our listeners. For all of you listening, please subscribe to our podcast and please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on our YouTube channel. If you have any comments, questions, or topic suggestions, please email us at contact at couplesynergy.com. For more information about Couple Synergy and our programs such as Relationship 101, the Couples Weekend Intensive, which is coming up in October, and our premier program called Couple to Couple, look us up online at couplesynergy.com. And if you know someone who can benefit from this episode, please download it and share it. And thank you for listening. Until next time, synergize your life and synergize your love.
You have been listening to Couple Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. Couple Synergy was recorded, edited, and produced by Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. Voiceover and music entitled Breathe and Let Go was recorded and composed by Gina Gonzalez. Thank you.